through sharing our story of retiring early, what that looks like for us, how you could kind of figure out what your freedom formula is and what works for you. Because I think that what we've learned in our retirement, it looks different for every investor. As some people look at our version of retirement and they find it like, oh, that's inspiring. Would love to do that. Other people are like, oh, that doesn't sound very much fun at all. And so I think that the point is to be able to look at your perfect situation and set that as your big goal and then be able to go back and back into that and figure out how you're going to make your reality. Our journey is going to look very different, but I think that you'll find some similarities. So even though retirement looks different for every investor, there are a few similarities. So everybody who talks to us about wanting to retire early, they always say things like, I don't see myself working this job till I'm 65, but they have no idea what else they're planning on doing. They don't have a backup plan. So they maybe have a good job, they are making good money, and they're so focused on forwarding that career and doing a good job on that career that they're not really thinking about how they on earth they retire. I can't see the time. I have no idea. And I can't see questions or I can't see any of that. So how are we going to do that? Even though they tend to not understand exactly what it is they're going to do so that they're not working that job till they're 65, they all say, I don't see myself doing this till I'm 65. And so there's just, just a huge gap in that statement and the plans that they're actually making to be able to retire early. Now, retiring early doesn't necessarily mean, I always say this, it doesn't look like sitting on a beach drinking Mai Tais in Mexico. It gets boring really fast. Those of us who are go-getters and hard workers and ambitious people are not going to be doing the beach. And so I don't find most people are even thinking of retirement that way. And so sometimes because they think that's what retirement is, they're not really thinking ahead to just wanting financial freedom because they're like, oh, I don't ever want to retire. We're not talking about necessarily retiring to not working. We're talking about work optional. If that's what you want to do, how you want to spend your time. So that's where control of time without worrying about money, without worrying about where the next check is coming from, that it's coming in. You have multiple streams of income. Some of them pay you monthly. Some of them pay you quarterly. Some of them pay you irregularly. It doesn't really matter. You have multiple streams of income coming in so that you're not worried about where your next piece of money is coming from. You can work when and if you want. So it's more like work optional or job optional. Troy said something to me recently. We were looking at our finances and I was still a little bit worried. And I said, I think, I hate to say this, honey, but one of us might have to get an actual job, like another J-O-B. And I said, it feels like a failure. It feels like this whole retirement early thing is not going to work. And he said, it's not about never working again. It's about working when and if we need to or want to. And he said, that mindset of that I'm going to work this thing till I'm 65 and retire in my 401k, he's like, that's the mindset that's been completely destroyed. He goes, that's what we're never going back to. It's not like if he wants to get a job or I want to get a job, that's suddenly like a failure and suddenly, oh, now we're stuck in this job for 65. We gave it a good try and it didn't work. It's more of just saying, how many streams of income can I get? So one or two of them can be active. One of them could be a job. Most of them are passive. So this is all about multiple streams of income and working when and if you want to. So for us, it's really about playing more. So I love this picture of us standing outside the Funko factory in Everton, ever, what's the name of that, Everett, Washington, that we were just visiting and we're just walking down the street. We're at a real estate investor meeting and I look over and I see these giant figurines and I thought, what is that? And so we were able to just be out there having fun. And I just really thought that this place and this mood really describes what we're going for because we want to play more. I like we want to retire early so we can work less. It, we talk about running towards something. So there's a distance between where what you're doing right now and what you're trying to get to. And most people are motivated by fear. Most people are saying, I don't want to work this on 65. I don't want to worry about money. And because that's how humans are, that's how marketers market to us. But if we are going to shift that mindset around and say, I want to work towards something so I can work at a job less, work less active income, some active income, some not, but play more and serve more. And so when I started changing the language to, instead of freedom, freedom made me sound like I was like a warrior, like a freedom fighter. Or like that you were trapped, right? Yeah. And you kept, you had this mindset that you were trapped there and you're reinforcing that mindset by believing that you're trapped at that job. Exactly. Or just trapped in our life. And when I kept using the word freedom or financial freedom or made me feel like there was a cage I was trying to get out of or society or cultural expectations that I was trying to break out of. And one day I asked my kids to describe me in one word and all of them were just looking at me and you could tell they didn't want to say it. And they said, stress. Like stress? What? No, like I deal with stress. Great. Like I don't have a problem with stress. And they said, well, what were you expecting us to say? And I said, well, I wasn't expecting you to be 
say playful, but it really would have been nice if that was the first word that came to your mind. And so I axed that whole freedom mindset and I went for the playing mindset. And I added to that serving, even though for me, serving is playing. Like it feels great to serve people. So that is, but I hear that again and again and again. People talk about the word freedom, but what it translates into is playing and serving more. If you really drill down on why they want freedom. So that comes from passive income. If you want to retire, your streams of income must be mostly passive. If they're mostly active because you're running three businesses and your spouse is working a W-2, that is working. We're not talking about never working again. But it is really important to understand that the income during retirement is mostly passive. So we'll get into that a little bit more later about how to figure out where those streams of income are going to come from. But that is common with everybody, no matter what their retirement dream looks like. Also, if you are making money and you want to make passive income, that means your money is working. Work You working is a job. Your money working is investing. So a lot of people say they're real estate investors because they flip houses or wholesale houses or something like that. That's not really real estate investing. That's a real estate business. Investing means you are investing your money or you have assets that are appreciating without you having to do anything. It is the nature of the word investing is pretty much passive. I mean, we we co-opt the word and use it for other things like I invested in myself or I'm investing my time or whatever. But in the sense of income, investing means that your money is working. You are not working. So in order to have enough money to invest, to get those streams of passive income, you really need to be living on less than you make. And nobody wants to hear that message. That's yeah. a hard one. Yeah. And the money you're spending all of your time earning in your nine to five job, you don't want to be spending that, right? Because you spent a lot of time and effort to get that. You don't want it to just disappear. You want to have that money work for you so that this money it's spinning up, that's what you want to be spending. Not the money you, you, you put all of your time and effort into to gaining. Yeah, you could be living off your passive investments while you're still working a W-2. And it changes the way that you look at your W-2 because, again, that freedom in that cage starts to make you hate your job. And I can't wait to quit my job. I don't want to work this job from 65. But when you start to see your job as the benefit and the bonus vehicle that it is, that it's bringing you in very steady income, doing something that you hopefully enjoy and have trained for. And that money that's coming in, you're using that to buy assets that are going to appreciate. You're using that to buy investments. And then the extra cash flow that the investment is spinning off. That's what you're living off of. So if you can invest all your active income and be living off your passive income, that's basically how you get ready for retirement, how you make that transition. And it helps you feel more purpose at work and more grateful for the job that you have rather than this anger wanting to escape. So that's worked better for us. However, what is different for every investor is that source of motivation. And so we're going to kind of move on to that next. Some people really want to get away from something that anger really powers them or that feeling like I want to show everybody wrong. I want to prove everybody wrong. If that works for you, nobody's arguing with that. Like do whatever it is that works. We've just found that we've had more financial peace and less stress and enjoying the journey more. If we split those words around instead of being angry and proving people wrong, it's more about appreciating our job because it allows us to invest more. So our goals and the reason I've chose this photo here is this is our family hiking the Arizona trail. This is us down in the Grand Canyon on kind of an unmarked, unmaintained trail. It was the worst day that we had on trail. It took us three months to walk from the border of Mexico up through Arizona mountains, down into the Grand Canyon out and up to the border of Utah. And this day was really defining for us because the Grand Canyon was closed. So we got there and they opened up this little tiny side trail and we went in there and after we got out of the Grand Canyon, it took us like how many, I think it was like 14 hours to go six miles um, this day. And you can see, if you look real closely, like Troy's shirt is totally torn up because he was bushwhacking for all of us behind him. It was a really rough day. And people look at that and they're like, that doesn't look like retirement. Like, I don't want to live outside and in a tent in the woods for three months. But for us, like going and doing something like that was on our bucket list. And we were able to go do that because we had passive income coming in. But we are also able to slash our expenses. I don't know. If you've noticed or if you knew this, but living in the woods in a tent is a little cheaper than living in a house. So we were able to lower our expenses and go do this fun adventure where some people thought it was cool and other people thought it was crazy. Some people thought it was cool and crazy. and Other people were just like, I don't, they, they just weren't motivated by it at all. They didn't find it inspiring. There's like, that's not, if this is what you're preaching, I don't want any of this. And so the point is, it's going to look different for you than it is for us. You don't have to go hike the Grand Canyon. But one thing I noticed was after we did this trail and we got out of the Grand Canyon and there was about another week 
after coming out of the Grand Canyon until we hit the Utah border. And people were passing us because the Grand Canyon was closed. So nobody was north of the Grand Canyon on this trail. And people were passing us and saying that they oh, we saw you post on Facebook that you got out of this trail. And I gave them like a play-by-play, like, here's what to wear. Here's what to do. Here's what to pack. Here's where the water is. And they said, if an 11-year-old could do it, I knew that I could do it. And that was a powerful metaphor for me because there are people coming behind us, reading what we were doing, watching what we were doing, and feeling capable of repeating it because they're like a family with an 11-year-old kid did it, I can do it. And that's just how investing is. You're going to be networking. You're going to be finding people who are trailblazing ahead of you and seeing what they're doing and watching them succeed at it will help you believe that you can succeed at it. So for me, I feel like what you're doing right now, being in this room with people who have similar goals to you, whether they're farther along the journey than you are or behind you, and you can help to lead them. It's like a chain of people. And that's where we really get stuff done and where we really start to change our mindset and our belief that what we've been taught all our lives to work till 65 and retire on a 401k, that just doesn't work anymore for most people. And you just have to surround yourself with people who are doing it. So again, some were willing to slash their expenses. Some of our friends said, well, if that's what you have to do to retire, then count me out. I don't want to retire early. How far are you willing to live below your means is up to you. We chose to really cut hard of getting rid of our housing expense. We've since purchased an RV because we feel like it's really important for us to look at the largest expenses first, which was housing. We couldn't cut down food anymore. We're a large family. We're already very frugal there. Couldn't really cut down on transportation because we had paid for cars that Troy fixes himself. And so we felt like under that, it was just all smaller thing and incidentals. And you're not going to find financial freedom by cutting out an $8 latte. You're going to find financial freedom by going after the large expenses and really digging in hard to those. So for us, the only one that w- was really going to move the needle was housing. Yeah. But I mean, to that point, spending $500 a month on lattes yeah. and, and, uh, <laughs> and going out partying with your friends, you've got enough money to invest. Yeah, that's true. If you are spending a lot of money on some of those incidentals, instead of looking at each latte and each movie ticket, like add it all up as a category for, say, entertainment. And if that's substantial, then maybe you could cut a lot of that and invest. So, but we weren't doing any of that. And it wasn't like we could cut travel or cut. We just didn't have those kind of things. We had maybe like a Netflix subscription that we were very, very frugal and there wasn't a lot left to cut. And so what we ended up doing is we took our large house and rented it out and bought a smaller house and moved into the smaller house. And it ended up being a huge benefit because both the houses were appreciating in value in a great market. So it ended up being a smart financial move, but people were wondering like, what are you doing? You had this big, beautiful house and you just moved into like a townhouse. So you don't have to slash your expenses that hard. We're just trying to share our story of what we chose and why we made those decisions. You may have room in your budget in other areas, but you have to look at it and you have to get serious. Like how serious are you on the retirement goal to retire comfortably or to even retire early? How serious are you and where are you willing to live below your means so that you have more money to invest? And instead of saying, oh, I can't have my latte or oh, I have to move it to a townhouse instead of my big, beautiful home. Be thinking to yourself, what do I want retirement to look like? How do I want to spend my time? What do I want to be doing? And so these kind of pictures are what motivated us, but you're going to have to find your own vision board and what motivates you. Somebody has told me several times I've heard this, I want to maintain my current lifestyle in retirement, but they're spending every dime on their current lifestyle. And that's a really difficult message. It's like, okay, are you back on your current lifestyle so that you can come back to this lifestyle in retirement and not have to work anymore? That's a really difficult realization for the people who tell me that they want to maintain their current lifestyle. That's very difficult for them to look at and find where to cut and what to do because they're having fun in their big house and their nice car and they're going on vacations. And their kids are in a private school and, and they like it. But as you start getting into probably their mid, mid 40s is where I see it, they really start worrying and thinking. So if you want to maintain your current lifestyle while you're making money to invest, you have to make more money. That's really what it boils down to. You can either cut or you can make more. Ideally, it would be both. So got to think hard about the budget. So determine your willingness and according to your own goals, then you need to plan. So I think, Troy, this is your next one. Wanted to kind of talk more about what our specific goals are versus what yours might be. So as we're telling our story, I'd be thinking about your story. So I don't know. Right. Yeah. So I kind of came to the realization that I worked in the IT industry for about 20, 25 years. And anyway, I worked for IT for about 25 years. And I ended up, oh, it's okay. They want to see you, that you're not on that camera. Am I not on that camera? No. (laughs) There you go. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. 
Yeah. So, so I worked for, I worked in IT for about 25 years and I realized that all my efforts were not very visible. At least I couldn't see my efforts benefiting those that I was trying to help. Right. Well, you felt like they kept killing projects that you're spending a lot of time working on. Right. Or it was kind of a thankless job, right? You didn't really see a lot of the fruits of your labors. As for me, I've been wanting to help people all my life and I thought it, that I was, but I realized that the path that I was pursuing, it wasn't giving me the satisfaction of being able to help people and, and to be actively involved in helping people to achieve their goal. It wasn't quite enough just to get a paycheck to work on a project that wasn't going to get used or help people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that was one of the motivations in my last position. Once I left that, I realized that it was going to be a struggle to to move into a, a different field. And who knows what that's going to look like, right? So for retirement, for me, it was freeing me from my nine to five job and giving me the ability to go explore other options. And we had invested enough in, in real estate to provide us a enough income that it would cover the, the Not basics. Yeah. yeah. And so I was comfortable enough being like, you know what, let's go see what this new life looks like. I had wished that I had started doing that really back in my twenties, <laughs> right? Instead of just plugging, pulling the line and going to school and just doing whatever seemed like the, the best option at the time. It was more of how can I make money rather than how can I help others and make money in the process. So retirement to me was freeing myself up to, for that ability to help others in a more meaningful way to me and my family. Yeah. Well, and, and we get the question a lot. Let me ask you this question. People are like, well, if you retired early, why are you still working? And so the answer for me is like, most of our streams of income are passive, but we still want to have some active streams of income. Retirement doesn't mean, like I said, my ties in Mexico and never having to work another day in your life. It means like what you described, the freedom to say, what's Troy 3.0 and explore that. And for you, that was helping people through a business. You're actually the one who kind of talked me into to doing this over the past couple of years. You, you were the force that was like, we need to give this message to other people. We need to get that out there. And that, I think, was your major motivator. It wasn't, we're in Hawaii right now, and I don't see you just lying on a beach all day. <laughs> exactly. And it wasn't uh, making you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year, right? It, if I wanted to do that, I might start my own business and grow it much larger. But to some people, that's retirement for them freeing themselves from their nine to five to be able to start a business that makes hundreds of million dollars a year, right? It's this making that first leap, having those golden handcuffs finally taken off of you and being able to make your own decisions and decide how you want to live your life and not how others need to live your life or what it's expected of. Yeah. But I think the key there that you're talking about is that we had enough real estate investments to cover our basic expenses. And that gave us the breathing room that we needed to go do something else. So we talked about a lot of this kind of stuff already, but one thing I didn't mention was that one thing that was really bothering us is that our kids were getting older. We have six kids and they were getting older. The first one was off to college, our next one, and the next two were looking at moving out above 18. And we felt like the three that we still had at home, we had adventures and travels and things that we wanted to do and we weren't able to do it because we were tied to a job or because we we're still worried about our young adult kids struggling to transition to adult life. And so we had to make some pretty choices. And when we talk about the benefits of passive income, we, we don't want to gloss over the reality of, of what that means, of the sacrifices that go along with that, because I think it's really important if you're going to do something to have a really clear picture. I don't want to just paint picture and motivate and inspire or whatever it is, and then have people get into it and quit halfway through because you didn't get the part about, oh, this is also going to be hard. So passive income, providing freedom and flexibility, reducing financial stress or retiring on your own terms. That's the fun part. Like this is us in our tents. This is the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. It was the, the night that we hiked out and set up our tents and we're all collapsing and crying. And just that was the hardest part of the trip. And we were almost done. And, and looking at this picture, you don't see any of, I'm getting emotional. You don't see any of that when you're just looking at this tent picture on the Grand Canyon with the sun going. You don't see the preparation. You don't see the criticism. You don't see the hard work that we did. You don't see like, all of the journey, it just looks like a pretty postcard. Yeah. And so I think this picture really embodies that it's beautiful and it was fun and it was worth it and we loved it. But at the same time, there was a lot of planning, preparation and literal blood, sweat and tears that goes into building building this type of thing. As this picture here, I wanted to share, and this is our 21 year old son and he is really struggling right now. When we decided to move out and go on this hike, he came on the hike with us. But then when we got done, he wanted to go back 
to Salt Lake City and find a job. And he was diagnosed with autism when he was 17 years old. He doesn't interview well. He doesn't have an ability to like plan ahead or plan for the future. So he wasn't saving money. Our daughters all have thousands of dollars saved up. They bought investment property with us before. They've saved up again and they're ready to invest with us again. They're talking about, right, they've run their own little businesses, drawing and making art and dog sitting and whatever they can do to, to scrape up money so that they can invest. And they're doing it. This kid just, his mind just doesn't think that way. That, that future planning is, is really missing. And he doesn't have a place to live right now because we moved out of our house. We rented it out. And when he went back to Utah, he thought, oh, I'll just, I just finished my IT certificate. I'll get a job and I'll be able to buy, get my own apartment. And we said, yeah, we'll help you with the security deposit in first month's rent. But I said, we can't help you until you get a job because we'll just be paying your rent month after month. And we're not in a position where we can do that yet. And so watching what he's going through because of our choices, basically it's been three months. He hasn't been able to find a job and just trying to live, just trying to figure out how to live and how to do it. And we're limited ability to help him has been really, really difficult. But I feel like he's learning some really important lessons. And he's been saying things to me like this experience has taught me more about what it means to, have, to put in effort to something because he's never really put in effort. And then he came to me and he said, I really would love to start saving up, figure out how to buy a house so I can rent out the rooms. And so he's a broke 21-year-old kid, but he's already saying the right things to say, okay, I'm learning from this. And so sometimes going through those difficult experiences and learning those hard lessons are, are really valuable. And so I feel like being very intentional about your lifestyle now by figuring out where you want to spend your money. I mean, we're in Hawaii, that was expensive. But it, so I'm talking about all this cut, cut, cut at your house. But at the same time, we got to flip that around and we got to take our whole family or well, most of our family to Hawaii. So not be thinking about cutting all the time or difficulties, but just being able to balance those two things, being very intentional about your lifestyle now and in the future. So investing passively for diversification, we have a lot of streams of income and we have a lot of demands on that income. And so our lifestyle and what we're earning might not look the same for you because maybe you have less kids or smaller kids or something. So it's really important to just paint a clear picture, a realistic picture of what's going to happen and then be ready for the roll because we had no idea it would take our son this long to find a job and he would be in the situation that he's in right now. We had no idea, but we're just taking it, we're rolling with it because stuff happens and it's not like life all of a sudden gets easier. I think people think they're going to get to the end of the line and oh, wow, then everything's going to be relaxed and peaceful. No, we're, we are still going through the normal family stuff and, but we're able to help him more now than we were before while he figures out this adult life thing. We weren't helping him by just letting him live in our house for free. Well, Laura, we have another one of his other uh, sisters because mm -hmm. she's been learning about real estate investing for years and years and years. And so she's intentionally, in fact, a number of our kids are saving mm -hmm. up as much money as they possibly can mm -hmm. and putting all their money into savings and just giving themselves a minor allowance and letting their savings yep. build up over and over and over again. So they're being very intentional in their in their pre-investing yeah. and looking for opportunities to invest into in, into better deals. So that's the goal here is to be intentional with what you're doing and intentional with the lifestyle that you're living right now to facilitate you retiring faster. Yeah. Like the more you can cut back in, or find ways to cut back and the more that you can save up mm -hmm. is going to contribute to how quickly you can retire. Yeah. And then you, you can get all those toys and all the other stuff once you you hit that point. Yeah. But you get to choose how long this is going to take. You get to choose how fast you're going to go. We were just older. Our kids were moving out. We were older and we're like, we need to do this a lot faster. But if, especially if you're making a high income where you're younger, slow, slow down and take a little longer. So He's learned by watching his sister's example. I think that's the point is surround yourself with people doing uh, cool things. And even a kid who has <laughs> impaired executive function can finally start to pick up on the program and see like, hey, if I want to live a, an easier lifestyle, I need to start investing. And he's 21 and hopefully he'll get there a lot sooner than we did. All right, Troy, I'm just kind of a Q&A page here. I wanted to ask you, like, how did we find our first passive income streams? Do you, you remember that? Uh, it's more like my business while he was W2E. So this is like a quiz show now. Yeah. So I think our, probably our first one was where we decided to live when we first Take moved you to Texas. Oh, so Texas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we, we had chose to move into a brand new neighborhood that they're building. We tried to be the first house in there and the smallest house in the neighborhood. And what that did is even though there wasn't a lot of growth during that period of time, we had the builder forcing our appreciation of our home from the very beginning. And we had done that a number of times while we were down in Texas. And we were inadvertently real estate investing through that. We knew what we were doing, what we wanted to happen. 
but it was a very slow process. Yeah, because we were only using our primary home. Right. We were baking on it. And when the crash of 2008 came through, we, had no we happened to be in a really good area. And so what happened was equity flattened out. The house prices flattened out in our area, but they didn't go down. And so we still had quite a bit of equity at that point, which we were able to later invest into real estate when, once we moved out of Texas and into mm -hmm. Utah. We took that equity out of our houses that we had been doing that with. And then we were able to invest into much larger projects. And I think that was probably one of the first. The other one was Emma had started a, a number of photography business, real estate photography, wedding photography, and a no, number of other, I guess, side businesses while we were down there that we we're using to supplement my income to do the fun things that we wanted to do. Looking back on that now, we realized that perhaps we should have been, instead of playing with all that money, we should have been investing it into real estate so that we, we could have got a jump start on our retirement. And we could have been playing off of the rental income, like use the active right. income to buy the rental houses and then go from there. So I, I think our best sources of income right now, honestly, are our private loans and our small, like one, two, like our duplex, triplex rentals, because you can get them ready to rent out really, really fast and they start cash flowing right away. But we realized quickly that scaling that to replace most of our income was a business all on its own and it wasn't really going to work for us. And that's why we leveled up to commercial real estate. And I say level up very intentionally here because it takes longer for commercial real estate to start paying you back because it, it takes longer to stabilize the property. So you might be renovating 50 or 100 or 200 units, whereas in a small rental, you're only re renovating one or two. And so it takes that longer for that cash flow to start coming. But when it does start coming, it's much more passive, easier to keep up on. And then we know more about it. So we started investing in other people's projects so that we didn't have to run them. And I think we're doing, doing private lend. Exactly. That, that creates some much quicker returns. Mm -hmm. So we, we've kind of gone into the path of either commercial real estate, selling our smaller rentals, our duplex traffic, and then taking that money and putting it into private note lending, which is much more passive than running a uh, rental business. And so our best streams of income are our small rentals and our private lending. And then our most long-term wealth building potential is the commercial real estate. And so learning how to network again and follow up. Another thing that's really, really important to, because here's where I want to get you give you the nuts and bolts. So we can talk about, oh, like we hiked the Arizona Trail and all that, but you're like, okay, how, how do I get that income? How do I do this in my life? Learning to network. You're here today. That's a great step. Surrounding yourself with people who are doing what you're doing. Join your local meetups, your local real estate clubs, jump on online groups. Find people like us who are doing it, who are teaching other people how to do it, who love teaching other people how to do it. It's kind of like that, that what would you do if you didn't get paid to do it? Like that's the kind of people you want to be teaching you are the people who just can't help it. Also, another thing that's really huge is to learn how to read the financial materials. And I think this is what bogs most people down, unless you're from a financial background. You don't really want to dig into the numbers and read the financial materials. And I'll admit that's not my favorite part. I don't love doing that either. I forced myself to learn how to do it by when I was doing residential to, to underwrite one deal per day. I would get on the bigger pockets calculator and I would just start typing the numbers in, doing the research, one deal per day. And then when I moved into commercial, I set a goal to analyze one commercial deal per week because it was more, there were more variables and more things I had to research. So it took me a couple of hours longer, but I wanted to do one per week. And I got some free spreadsheets and then I bought a spreadsheet for a hundred bucks or something like that. And I just forced myself to start learning how to do it. I knew I was never going to be the financial analyst of in any team that I was in, but I knew it was an important skill to have. And I really did get into it and kind of dive down that rabbit hole for a while so that I could be good at it. You don't have to become an expert. I never plan on becoming an expert, but you should be able to read the basic financial materials that somebody will send you in order to invest and plan on investing your time, plan on investing in yourself and investing your time up front for a couple of hours, watching some training materials, and just having a realistic perspective. If that is not something you want to do, we have a few other options. If it's just something that it's really not going to happen, that you could be even more passive and more diversified. There are some options there. If it's just something that you're, is really blocking you from taking action, I would never want this to trip you up from actually doing something. So if you want to take a little bit less of a financial approach and more of a networking approach, we can talk about that. Just set up a call with us and tell us kind of where you are and where your bottlenecks are, and we can help you work through and find some options there. But networking and financial are really the big ones to succeed in passive real estate investing. And then setting aside money in small increments, start investing now in what you already know. Even if that's just a stock market ETF, you probably are all already doing that. 
with your 401ks and things. And now you're looking to grow beyond that and get out of that. And so diversifying as you learn, this is step one of learning about financial stuff with real estate and coming to our club on Monday nights, having to call those kinds of things and getting that out of the way if that's not what you love. And, but if you do love it, there's a whole rabbit hole that you're going to have fun going down. So here's an example of diversification. Let's say you're sitting on a million dollars. Roughly, if you are getting a 10% rate of return on a million dollars, you're going to be making just say like $100,000 per year, roughly. If you're earning 200000 a year right now, well, that's not going to be good enough. So you're like, have to have $2 million, right? And so you need to think about, okay, how am I going to double the size of that pile of money? Let's say you sold a house in California and you're sitting on a million bucks. I know it's surprising how many people I know who've done this. So when I first heard this example, I was like, whatever, who do you know that's sitting on a million dollars? A lot of people. That's <laughs> surprising. They, when they start calling, it's just private. So they keep private. But when they start talking to us about it, um, you'd be shocked how many people are sitting on a pile of money from an insurance settlement, an inheritance, a house they sold, a business that they sold, and they don't know what to do with it. So we started out when we sold our first house, in, not our first house, our last house in Texas before we moved to Utah, we we're sitting about on about half a million dollars. And it was the most money I ever had in my hands at one time. And I was feeling a lot of responsibility to figure out how to do this. My husband was starting a new job at a new town, a new state. And I really felt like I was going to take this on and it was hard. So this is what I did. I just said, look, I've got half a million dollars and I split it up. I was going to do 250000 for buying some kind of apartment complex. We ended up never buying it, but that's what I set it aside for. And then I was doing $50,000 chunks other than that to be able to invest in in rental houses or in commercial syndications. And so I knew that that would double my money in roughly five years is what we were planning on to get to a million dollars. And then if you keep investing at 10%, you can kind of figure out like 7.2 years to double your money as a rule 72 or however you want to look at it. Five to, to seven and a half years is what we're looking at as our doubling rate at a roughly 10%. And you've heard of this in the stock market before, the rule of 4%, where you can only draw down 4% of your portfolio if you don't want to lower the principal and a cover for inflation. So you, that will last you without drawing it down. I'm going on 10% because I tend to do better returns in my real estate investing than I my stock investing. So I'm personally chosen the 10% rule and it makes the math easier. So just think about what kinds of things you can diversify into, whether it's in real estate, there's a lot of diversification in real estate, multifamily, large multifamily, small multifamily, which city you're in, what operator, what who's running the property? Are you going to do self-storage? Are you going to do private lending? There's so much diversification within real estate we do still diversify out of real estate, but I would most of our net worth is in real estate. And we, but because we feel we can diversify inside of that so broadly. Type your questions in the chat here. I think this map here, this is personal math. We decided that we needed $1.7 million to make $125,000 to $150,000 a year at a 10% rate of return. So we kind of set that $1.7 million, and that was actual cash invested. It was cash flowing. Our net worth was higher because we had a lot of equity in properties that were not, ca I mean, they were cash flowing, but there was so much equity in it that our net worth went up a lot faster and a lot higher than our actual cash flow did. And so over the last year to two years, we've shifted that plan. Instead of investing for high yield and high returns, we've started focusing on things that are going to cash flow faster and quicker, which is why we've shifted over a lot to private lending. All right, Troy, I'm going to wrap for questions. <laughs> do we have any i'm not sure who's do we have any questions to wrap things up to really understand what retirement means to you you really need to understand how much you would like to make once you retire if you can cut your current expenses and you're okay with living a little bit below your current means that looks like you might be able to retire much earlier than you realize if you want to continue your lifestyle or increase the lifestyle you have it may be a far move to cut back on what you're currently doing and saving up that money so that you can have that lifestyle later on. Really, retirement is different for everyone. The means to which you achieve that, investing is definitely going to get you there much faster than just socking it all away in the bank. Like I have a daughter right now that she's she's got some money in her sa savings account and it's enough money that's uh, substantial enough that she's super frustrated with the return she's getting on her bank account, her savings account. <laughs> And just keeps bugging us. Like, when can I put this into an investment? What do you, what are we, what, how can I get into investing faster? Yeah. What's the next? Yeah. She's, she's trying to retire as fast as she can. She's 17. She's said like, she's like, she's, she's, she's right now. Earlier. If I had started out when she started out, which was around 
I don't know, probably 12. She's been saving up everything since then. I probably could have retur- retired when I was around 25. <laughs> and uh, she's pretty much on that track right now. So again, if you're a little bit later in your life, you have a retirement account that you've been paying into your, your entire life, you can switch that over to a self-directed IRA and invest it into higher yield investments. There's a lot of different options. You can get in with our club and learn about investing in syndications and in commercial investments. And you can learn all about it. You can learn how to read spreadsheets. You can learn what people are proposing. Mm-hmm. People bring deals into our... Yeah, you don't have to learn this stuff on your own. We meet every yeah. Monday night at a club where we just crunch deals together. And it, some people are sitting there like, oh, I feel like I just moved to France and I don't speak French. Right. <laughs> so it's important just to keep going just the same way you would do if you were living in a foreign country. You just keep going out to the shops every day, keep doing the thing, and eventually you're, you'll pick up the language just by being around it. And so just come into the club and learn how to do this. It's a lot of fun. We have a good time and tell a lot of jokes and all that when we're getting some business done. So yeah. You know, it doesn't, it, don't think that you're doing this alone and don't think that it has to be a drag. Well, in fact, those of you that are reluctant to invest with other people, because that was kind of my approach yes. when I first did, started into this, is I don't know how many of you have ever worked by yourself, like working on your own house or any kind of project at all. You're, you're going up and down the ladder by yourself. You're walking back and forth. You're making 50 trips to the Home Depot and it's just you all by yourself. But if you have one other person helping you that can hand you tools, the job goes four times faster. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with real estate. The more people that you leverage that have a, an expertise beyond what your expertise is, if you don't like doing spreadsheets, you give that off to somebody else that does enjoy doing that. And you'll find that you're approaching your retirement four times faster with just that one other person than you would have if you were on your own. And the more people that you can involve in that, say you have 10 people on uh, on a deal or on a syndication or that you've networked with that's, that is trying to help you succeed in your goals and helping you to be to retire, you're going to find it that your retirement becomes a lot closer. And mm-hmm. in the meantime, you're making a lot of new friends and meeting a lot of new people and just bettering yourself. Yeah. And finding new opportunities. I feel like with our team and our funds, because we have a club and a fund, a club where we meet every Monday night in a fund where we put deals up and you get to choose from. We know how to underwrite deals. We've been doing this. If you don't know how, the whole point of passive investing is not to go out and buy your own apartment building and rent it. Like that's all the job. That's active investing. So if you're really looking for passive income, it's it's important to find people and surround yourself with people who are going to do the work for you. That doesn't mean that you have no upfront responsibility. I think passive income kind of gets painted as this walking off into the sunset, holding hands type of thing. But look at what they've got in their hands. They packed a bag. They brought their towel. They put their little picnic basket together. And they made sure that they drove their car over there. And then they get to sit down and enjoy the sunset. So when people talk about set it and forget it, the set it part is where your work comes from. And the forget it part is where you're letting other people do the work for you. So it's really important to kind of keep it in mind in that way. So I wanted to look at a little bit of investing with us at Rise Capital Investments. So you have a couple of different options. One, jump over to our website. It's risecapitalinvestments.co. And you can read about our investment philosophy, some of the things that we are investing in, what we do. And if you click on the invest now button, it will take you over to our investing portal. If you sign up for an account there, you can look at the offerings that we have in there. And they move pretty fast because a lot of the private lending that we do moves really fast. And so getting in there and getting your paperwork in, submitted, walking through that portal process, we'll walk you through that. It's really key so that you can start looking at investments. Because like I said, I underwrote one deal a day. Residential, I wrote under, underwrote one deal a week on commercial. The sooner you start doing that, the sooner you're going to feel comfortable with saying, you know what, I'm ready to jump into this one. You're never going to jump into it if you don't ever look at it, right? So getting in that portal and starting to look at those deals, calling us up on phone and saying, okay, explain this to me. Like I'm smart, but like I don't know what I'm doing. And that's basically where we come in and help do that work for you. So schedule a phone call with us on that website right there, jump in the portal, sign up, start looking at those investments and send us an email to our Monday night club and just start hanging out with us and figuring out how we figure out how we got it done. And it's going to look different for you. The process looks different for everyone, depending on your goals, your skills, your timeline, all of that. But we hope that by sharing our story that we can show you that uh, just one possible path and your path obviously is going to look different, but you realize like it's worth taking, it's worth jumping in, it's worth getting it done. Yep. We'd like to help you achieve your goal. Uh, I, I think it's fun. Give us a call. Yeah. Do you have a couple questions? Do you think your kids invest with you? How does that work? Be 
under Yigoti? That's a really good question. You have a couple of options. If they're going to be investing in the stock market, you would do like a custodial account and then you would invest on their behalf. What we do from a legal standpoint is they just put their money into our pool. And as their parents, we just invest it with us. So let's say we're going to put $50,000 into a deal, but two daughters have $5,000. So we'll put in 40 and they'll each put in five. So when we talk to our attorney about it, like we need to set up custodial accounts for you, the stuff needs to know they're your kids. You just do the math and you got to pay them back. And so it's pretty informal from that perspective. I, you could set up a retirement account, kind of what Troy was mentioning earlier. If you set up a retirement account on behalf of your kids, that's another option where you're putting money in there, they're putting money in there, and they can't access that until retirement. So there are some pros and cons of that I can briefly touch on. You're going to want to have to convert that when you set it up with a self-directed custodian from the get-go, like equity trust, horizon trust, something like that. You're not going to do like a Charles Schwab or Fidelity because they can only invest in the stock market or liquid assets like mutual funds. And so if you want to be investing in real estate through a retirement account, whether it's yours or, or your children's, make sure you choose the right custodian to set that up. And then the next thing is to consider the tax implications and how long it's going to be before that child or you can access those retirement accounts. So the investments that we do in our retirement account are things that do not have tax benefits. So the retirement account is giving it tax benefits. So things like our interest income, if, we're, if we don't need our cash flow, if we need our cash flow, we cannot do it in a retirement account because it's trapped in there because we're not, we're not old enough to take it out yet, right? And so be thinking about like, if you want to retire early, you can't be doing all of your retiring in an investment or in a retirement account. But we try to do as much in that retirement account as possible to get those tax benefits on investments that do not have tax benefits. We talk about the tax benefits of real estate all the time, but things like a private lending where you're making interest income, those are, that's not tax advantage. So we try to do that in a retirement account. We do enough of it outside a retirement account so that we can have some cash flow. And then on top of that, we're doing tax advantage investments outside of a retirement account for things like that have depreciation, like actually buying houses or actually buying apartments, not just lending money. Because those things get great depreciation and it helps to offset the income that we made from the lending. So having a blended approach when you're investing in your retirement account or investing on behalf of your kids in their retirement account, you have to just think about the pros and the cons. But just a simple straight up, if we're buying equity, we just put it in and they just give it to us. And then we have to do our little math to figure out how to split that up when the money actually starts to come back. On LinkedIn and then just repeat. Loving this and thank you for being on our community. how you can bring it to your 401k self-directed IRE that money to invest in. All right. We just went through this process. When he got laid off from his last job, we had to roll over his 401k. So when you roll over your, when you have the opportunity to roll over your 401k. That's either leaving a job or they do it once a year, like an open enrollment for your health insurance. Right. And when you do that, you have the opportunity to be able to roll it over into a self-directed IRA, mm-hmm. going through one of those services that Em had mentioned briefly. But yes, if you reach out to either Horizon Trust or what was the other one? We do. I think ours is Horizon, but a lot of people use equity and they're like, they're probably 150. You can just look up a list yeah. and you're going to choose them based on your on the, their fee structure. Don't get overwhelmed. Yeah. We just pick one. <laughs> yeah. But then you got to work with I think, was it Fidelity where that 401k was being held? Yes, I had to work with Fidelity and with, I believe it was Mutual Trust that I was working with at that point to move or to move the 401k over to a yeah. self-directed. So Fidelity had to liquidate it by selling all of our stock. And then they mailed us a check, a paper check. And then we took that to our bank. We set up an LLC for right. that. I think they actually did send it to yeah. Did they ACS it? Yeah, for the first time they mailed it to paper check. Both of them on the phone and had them oh. look it all out. <laughs> so, yeah. So if you have any questions, they're happy to, to get on the phone with the other investment company and talk to them yeah. and work, work out the transfer. Well, we've done this twice. And the first time we did it was when he had gotten laid off in 2017 and we were rolling it over. And our advisor at Fidelity actually told us that if this wasn't a thing. I, I think he thought we were getting scammed, actually. It was pretty funny because we knew it was an actual thing. But this kid, he was probably 29 and he just had never heard of it before. And so the process of him handling it was pretty laborious. And so we had to kind of step it up the ladder and get somebody who knew how to do it. But then we mutual trust, and he put him on the phone with Fidelity and they, not mutual trust, Horizon Trust, and they worked it all out. Mutual trust is our life insurance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, they worked it out and they basically mailed a check or sent an ACH. You have two options. You can leave the it at your trust companies 
bank account. Or if you set up an LLC, you can create your own bank account and you actually have control over your own money. And so when we want to make an investment, if we want to move really fast, we can write our own checks and make our own investments. But if you want to leave it at their bank account, then you have to fill out their paperwork and it takes them a couple of weeks. So usually that retirement fund, if you want to invest in a deal with your retirement fund, like <laughs> plan ahead, especially if you're not having your own check check writing capability on that. If you don't have your own bank account, you're going to have to fill out all the forms and they'll send it back saying you got one letter wrong and running through all that. So just make sure you give it six weeks probably is to roll it over and then actually get it placed into an investment. It's, it's a lot of fast process, but we've definitely made more in our retirement account. You also want to make sure that the investment that you're investing your, your retirement, your IRA into is is that you don't have control of it. Yes. Yeah. It's like you want to make sure that somebody else is managing it and that they, that you put it in a- There are rules. Yes, there are rules. And and they, the company that you invest with or the rolls over your mm -hmm. IRA into a self-direct IRA, they can walk through, walk you through all the cautions. Yeah, there are prohibited investments. So you can't invest in anything that you manage yourself. So I can't go buy a rental house with my 401k rolled over, or, you know, my self-directed 401k or something. I have to invest it in something that somebody else is kind of running or- if I have any ownership at all, it has to be like a very small percentage. And so talk to your accountant about what those rules are. And that's why sometimes if you have a lot of money in your retirement account, it helps to do it more passively because you can't do it actively in those accounts anyway. It's not legal. Other question you no investing. Yes. That's basically what we're talking about when we're saying private lending. There are a couple of there are a couple of things that you can do that you can consider note investing. When people say note investing, I notice they're mostly talking about mortgage notes. So we have bought and sold properties on private notes. That's basically what that is. Instead of going to a bank for a mortgage, you're just going to sign an agreement between two individuals who are not bankers and they are going to do the deal together. So I'll give you a couple of examples. The first time I did it, I was wholesaling notes. And so basically what I did is I found somebody who had a house that they wanted to sell and somebody who wanted to buy a house and they couldn't get a mortgage. And I would introduce them and they'd say they would sell the house to me for 200000 and I would sell it to the other person for 210000 or 220000 and I got to keep the difference. So that's wholesaling notes. I didn't like it. It was a lot cold calling. It was not investing. It was definitely a business. And so what we ended up doing is I bought rental houses and I would sell those on a note. So I would get it all ready to go and I would put a renter in it and then he would be like a rent to own, which is the same thing I was doing with the wholesaling. But instead of finding a seller and finding a buyer, I, would, I was the seller and I would find my own buyer. And they would move in and we would use a title company that knew what they were doing that's the thing. If you're using notes or creative financing or seller finance or anything creative, like make sure your title company knows what they're doing and they can navigate the, the legalities and make sure you have the right documents. And so we sold a couple of houses on notes where they pay us every month and it's not our house. Like if the roof caves in, it's their own problem. We just have to make sure that's insured and just like a bank would do. Another example is where we bought a property on a private note where we were able to buy an apartment complex because it was right after COVID and nobody was lending and the loan that we were looking at getting kind of fell through. And so we needed to do seller financing. And so we basically put in a private note on that property and we were able to own that. I think it was two years while we stabilized it. And then once it was stabilized, we sold it, paid off the original owner, and then we got to pay off our investors. And then we kept the difference. We had private notes on that property for the renovation. So we bought it on a private note and then we collected basically people issued debt to us that we borrowed from them in order to do the renovations on that property. And then when people, again, buying notes, they're not just talking about mortgage notes, but they're usually talking about being a provider of the trading of those notes. So one thing that we did when our kids wanted to invest, somebody came to me and he said, hey, I've got a mobile home that a friend of mine has that she's fixed up and she put a rent-to-own guy in it and she just got divorced and she needs the cash out of it. It's like a nine, I think there were nine years left on a 10-year note where it's a couple hundred bucks and 400 bucks a month. It was like a $50,000 note over course of nine years, $45,000, something like that. And she wanted to sell us this note for $14,000. And I felt like, well, that's a 250% return on our money. And then if you factored in that it was going to take us nine years to get that, it went down to something like 120% return. So I, it was crazy high. And so I said to my kids, like, this is cheap enough that we can buy this house together. It's in my name. It's a, it's a mobile home. So it's at the DMV, not at the county, but it's in my name and my kids put the money in and then I just pay them out monthly, like automatically uh, send them the money to their bank account. So we basically bought that note and we didn't actually have to do anything to the house. And then once he pays it off at the end of, I think we have seven, six or seven years left on that, he'll own it free and clear at that point. 
So yes, we do note investing, but we're not doing note trading. We don't do that in our fund either. We basically are investing directly into real estate and not in the underlying notes themselves. You also don't get tax advantages. Just Yeah, note investing doesn't have. So just make sure that you're planning for your taxes, that you're investing in things that have tax advantages alongside your note investing. So private lending, note trading, all of that, you're not going to get the tax benefits of that, but it's still valuable because you get so much cash flow and it's so passive. So just make sure you're balancing that tax approach. And then one last question from Casey Crawl. Then it will be, what type of private lending are you pursuing? What type of collateral? I'll have you cheap over time and sell that basis for lots and fast depends on back mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So yeah, the previous question I answered a lot of that. So we'll just go into how our fund invests in private notes. So basically what we do is there there are two. We're the residential commercial multifamily. So residential multifamily would be two to four units. Occasionally we'll do like a portfolio of single family houses, things like that, or anything five units or above, specifically multifamily. So we find people who basically need hard money. So they're fixing it up, they're doing some sort of a value add, or they're building a new construction, something like that. We underwrite the deal. We decide if we want to invest in it or not. And if we do, we put it on our portal. Then you would log into the portal, look over all the documents, schedule a phone call, make sure you understand kind of what is going on. And we collateralize it against that property if it's a smaller residential or smaller commercial multifamily. We also do, those are first lanes. So that's what collateralized against the property means. It means you are the only lien holder or the first lien holder on that. We're the first person who gets paid, especially if the project goes bad. None of their investors or their partners are going to get paid. Only we do. We keep the house. There's also another thing that we do is a second lien or mezzanine debt. When mezzanine just means like the top layer of seats at a theater, right? So you're not on the floor seat, you're on the top seat. And so mezzanine just basically means second level. And so your second lien on commercial property where Somebody got a loan from a bank, but let's say they need to bring in 30% to close, or right now 40, even 50%. Sometimes the banks are lending less and less. And so they may be able to raise 25%, but they need us to loan them the other 25. So it's called a capital stack, where you have the senior debt at the bottom, and then the mezzanine debt, which is where we come in. And then they'll go and raise the rest of it either from themselves or from their own investors as basically as profit sharing. And so those are the two types of private loan or private lending or debt investing, whatever you want to call it, that we do is either first lien against smaller properties or second lien against larger properties. It's great questions. Most of our fund, we are really focusing on debt right now because we feel like with some uncertain uncertain things you're hearing about in the news and the economy right now and in real estate in general right now, uh, we feel more comfortable in private lending, but we will occasionally bring in equity deals so that you can get higher returns and also enjoy those tax benefits. So take a look at, at private lending. It really is, has been a great solution for us for our retirement cash flow and also just for a little bit more reliable security while things are kind of on the move right now in the real estate markets. All right. Thanks, everybody, for coming. It was really great questions. We will be following up with you. If you submitted your information, you want to pop that in the chat or go to our website and just click on the button for schedule a call. If you want to schedule a call with Tori and me directly, just reach out and we'll give you a link for that. Oh, looking forward to talking to you. And I, I really just want to hear about like what your passive income retirement early journey looks like. Because I think I even have a podcast called Passive Income Adventures because I just love hearing about stories of, of what people are doing to just really live their life according to their own lifestyle design and not just what everybody's always told them. Really dig deep, figure out what they want and go after it. So thank you for coming today. I really appreciate it. Bye. That's not awkward. <laughs>